I wonder if they knew. I wonder if on that Sunday as he rode on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem and people waved palm branches and laid them in his path, I wonder if they knew that he wasn't just any king. I wonder if they knew that he was God in the flesh. I wonder if they knew who he was. I wonder if they knew that redemption was riding into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. I wonder if they knew who he was. I wonder if we know who he is. I wonder if we understand who this God is that we serve and worship and sing about. I love the story of Palm Sunday. It, it's the beginning of the most incredible week this world has ever known. And if you just read the Bible on a cursory level, you, you, you pull a lot of these stories out and you don't understand maybe that a lot of what Jesus taught and a lot of what Jesus said and a lot of what Jesus modeled took place starting on that Sunday. The last eight days of his life were packed with Jesus teaching and pleading and confronting. In, in those final few days, Jesus gave us a model. You know, the business world throws that word around a lot, model. The church world throws the word around. It's, here's a church growth model, a church planting model, a, a church leadership model. And, and it, when we see that word, it really just denotes a, a standard. Some individual or organization will say, here's our standard. This is the way we do things. This is our model chick-fil-a has one and you know it now unless you know you are here and you don't like chick-fil-a we will pray for you <laughs> and intercede greatly because chick-fil-a is chick-fil-a you know so you go to chick-fil-a you don't worry that the drive throughs wrapped around the building do you because you know they're going to get you through see chick-fil-a has a model it's it's based on customer service right you know Thank you. My pleasure. It's, it's built on hiring the right people, people who can reflect the Chick-fil-A model and the Chick-fil-A way. And part of their model is we don't open on... Still not okay with that. I'm just kidding. I did hear a story one time, though. I heard a story that... Uh, I, now, it didn't come straight from Dan Cathy, but it, it was from somebody that had a conversation with Dan Cathy. And, you know, they, they don't open on Sunday. In fact, even if you go to a Falcons game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And, oh, by the way, that costs them some expert, and I don't know what formula they use to come up with this number, but someone supposed that Closing on Sunday costs Chick-fil-A somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars in revenue every year. That's, that's a lot of money. And I, I, I was told this story that uh, 
one Sunday, and I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Dan Cathy taught Sunday school at a church south of Atlanta for years and years and years and years and years. And there was a particular Sunday where he received a phone call and he, he goes to his pastor and says, Pastor, you're going to have to excuse me. I have some urgent business I need to take care of. Word had gotten back to Dan Cathy that one of his operators were opening their store on Sunday. He was not pleased. And so he leaves the church, gets on the Chick-fil-A jet. There's probably a fleet of them. I don't know. I'm sure it has black spots. Flew to San Antonio and walked in the door. Can you imagine the look on the operator's face in that moment? Because what was happening is he was opening, not reporting that income, and just putting it in his pocket. And so Dan Cathy walks in the door, makes eye contact with the operator. Dan Cathy walks into the dining room and says, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being at our Chick-fil-A today. We want you to finish your meal. And by the way, we're going to bag up all the food that's back there in the kitchen, and you're going to take it home with you at, at no charge. It's, it's, it's yours, our, our gift to you. But make no mistake about it, if you come back here next Sunday, these doors will be locked. And guess how long that guy was an operator? Not long. See, the model doesn't work. Regardless of how good the model is, the model doesn't work if the people who are adhering to the model don't follow it. Jesus gave us a model. Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them. He'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6 says, the disciples went on and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him, those that followed, shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus gave us a model to live our lives by. On this last week of his life, he showed us how to live. And so my question is, are we adhering to his model? Well, let's, let's unpack it. So I, here's the picture you have to get. Jesus is riding on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, I wonder if you were God and you showed up on earth and you decided you were going to, on your last trip into Jerusalem, you were going to 
right into town, you wouldn't and I wouldn't pick a donkey. I'd want a white steed or a motorcycle or a Ford truck. Certainly wouldn't ride in on the back of a servant animal, but Jesus did. And do you know why? Well, one reason, he was fulfilling prophecy, right? But on Palm Sunday Road, write this down, Jesus modeled humility. And as followers of Christ Jesus, our lives should be marked with humility. By the way, the opposite of humility is pride and arrogance. Can I tell you what the worst kind of arrogance there is? Spiritual arrogance. When we decide that we've come so far down our spiritual journey, when we decide that we're God's favorite and everybody else is just lowly sinners, when we decide that we've got our act together and everybody else needs to become like us, stop it. so easy for us to become spiritually arrogant when we've walked down this path for a little while and think, I got my act together. I, this person needs to be more like me and this person needs to act more like me. Stop it. You're not the model. I'm not the model. You better be glad I'm not the model. Now granted, we... We want people to see Christ in us and, and model the Christ in us. But, but if we've forgotten how to walk through this life with humility and grace. See, here's, here's the problem, y'all. As, as followers of Christ, we are called to be a conduit of God's grace and mercy. In other words... As we receive God's grace and mercy, we should be able to pass that along to others. But all too often what happens is we receive God's grace and mercy and all of a sudden think that that makes us above others. And it doesn't because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That includes you and me. And so if we're going to live like Christ... We've got to model his humility. If anyone had a reason to toot his own horn, it was the Son of God who's the only one who ever led a perfect life and he showed up on a donkey. He showed up in a manger. If anyone ever had a reason to receive praise, if anyone ever had a reason to exalt himself above others, it was Jesus and he modeled for us humility. And it creeps its way into the church. And we, I'll never, Don and I were at a conference or camp meeting. I don't remember which one it was. It was a, some kind of, lots of people there. You with me? And this has been before we ever planted state, uh, before we ever planted LifePoint. So uh, it, it's been a long time. But I remember we were sitting close to the front row and the, the guest speaker came up. 
And he was making his way behind the pulpit. And he had an assistant. And the assistant's job was just to carry his Bible. And so the guest speaker came up and the assistant followed him and laid his Bible on a nice glass little table. And I looked at Donna and I said, if I ever do anything that stupid, you have my permission to slap me. <laughs> Stop. Who do we think we are? I'm pretty sure Jesus carried his own Bible. I'm pretty sure Jesus understood the principle of humility and I believe we're supposed to model it. But see that... That trip into Jerusalem wasn't just a declaration of his humility. It was an announcement to those religious leaders of who he was. It was an announcement that the prophecy you've been teaching and reading about is coming true right now. Now, this is the part of Jesus that I think is cool. I think all of you, all of you is cool. But this is especially cool. Now, if you or I, knew that there was a group of people in Snellville that wanted to kill us, right? But we had to go to Snellville. We're probably going to sneak into town under cover of night, aren't we? We're probably going to, let's not go down the main road. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus showed up announcing who he was. Oh, by the way, let me kick over this money changer's table in the process. He preaches sermons that challenges the... The religious leaders, and he, he, he boldly announces his authority. Why would he do that in front of people that he knew were getting ready to murder him? Because in Jerusalem, Jesus modeled his mission. All of the miracles and all of the healing and all of the teaching had led him to this point, to this moment, to this week. It was all pointing to the day Jesus would perform the ultimate act of service. He knew all along that his ministry would climax with the events of this week. So don't misinterpret the humility of that donkey ride. Jesus was no doubt displaying those virtues that he taught us. Meekness, humility, and selflessness. But make no mistake about it, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a mission. He understood this to be this last week on earth and entered that week on a mission to fulfill his destiny to save the world. Now, this is the cool part. At this point, he had gone viral. Because just a, a little while before this, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Which, that's a pretty big deal. And it was creating all this stir. And people were running toward him. And if you read your Bible carefully, it'll tell you that they wanted to kill Lazarus. The religious leaders wanted to kill Lazarus. Do you know why? we got to shut this dude up. Now listen, if you've been dead four days, if you've been dead long enough to stink, it's in the Bible, you'd, and, and, and somebody calls you out of your grave, you'd probably be a little vocal about it, wouldn't you? Well, that's what Lazarus was doing, and he was creating all this stir. And, 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 and at the worst time, you would think, because now all these people were ready to kill Jesus, all these religious leaders. But listen. This was no covert mission. His activity was intentional and missional and on purpose. Why would he do that? He preached a sermon calling 
All right. All of these, just imagine that there's all these people in this room right now that wanted to kill Dwayne. Can you, can you grasp that? All these people. And I start calling them snakes. You bunch of snakes. You bunch of hypocrites. You're vipers. You're going to hell. That's exactly what he did. Pointed a finger and said, snake, sorry rascal, scallywag. Why would he do that? He had horrible timing, didn't he? Why would he do that? Why would he almost inflame their anger? Because to the, write this down, to the religious leaders, Jesus modeled integrity. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew what he'd come to do, and he knew what his mission was. You don't have a space for this, but you got to write this down. There's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Sometimes, I'm, all right, I'm going to let you finish writing that down because I want you to look at me. Sometimes truth, sometimes speaking words of truth, sometimes living truth will get you in an uncomfortable position. But there is never a wrong time to do the right thing. There's never a wrong time to say the right thing. Sometimes being a person of integrity on mission in a culture that has lost its mind will cause people to turn against you. It's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And if there's ever been a time, please listen, if there's ever been a time when God's people need to be people of integrity on mission for God, it's today. Our culture is starving for truth. Now listen, that's why I put, I, I, just, I just put this in order of what happened in the Bible, but maybe that's why humility's first. See, we got enough people that are, uh, that are shouting with spiritual ang- uh, arrogance what what other people need to do. And I'm going to tell you that what God is calling us to do is with a heart of humility, be people who have a mission, live it out with integrity, and speak the truth. And live the truth. And love the truth. Because it's never a wrong time to do the right thing. In fact... You know, when I... Not like Jesus had, but, but the truth of the matter is, um, it's, it's not a real popular time to be a Christian. It's not a real popular time to stand for the principles of God's Word. It's not a real popular time. And, and maybe we all have to make a decision. Am I going to stand for the mission that God has given me, or am I going to just flow with culture and and listen i'm I'm just at the point where i'm i believe that we live in a time (sighs) there's a a part of if you were here last week we, we talked about elijah's victory on mount carmel and you know i'm not going to re-preach that sermon it's on it's online you can go back and listen to it 
there was, there was this point when Elijah stood up and said these words. See, the prophets were serving a dead God named Baal. And Elijah stood up and he said these words. If Baal is God, then serve him. But if Jehovah is God, then serve him. And so I think the call to us in this culture is, if, if culture is God, if I'm God, then, then serve it. Serve you. Because that's really the God of this age. Is, is we're, we're the most narcissistic culture that's ever lived. Selfie. So if, if you're God, then serve you. If culture is God, then serve it. But if God is God, if Christ is God, then serve him on mission. So after, after he stands and, and preaches to those that wanted to kill him, he gathers those that are closest to him. And I want you to follow the sequence of these events very carefully. He gathers them together at what the church, in, we, we commonly call the Last Supper. Now all these disciples are there with him. And he identifies Judas as his betrayer. Almost the first thing that happens. Judas has spent that Wednesday betraying Jesus. And now it's Thursday. And he gathers them together. The deal is done. The contract's been signed. Jesus is betrayed. Excuse me, is betrayed. Jesus identifies Judas as his betrayer and then says these words. Please listen to, 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 how, to what Jesus did. He took a cup. Matthew, this is Matthew 26. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of, uh, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it, all of you. Drink it, all of you. Judas, you're a betrayer. Drink it. At the Last Supper, write this down, Jesus modeled forgiveness. We, we talked about this at our marriage conference last weekend, and someone spoke up and said, unforgiveness and resentment is like drinking rat poison yourself and expecting somebody else to die. So if, why did Jesus go to all that trouble? To gather these men who'd followed him around day after day for three years, why did he go to all that trouble to identify Judas, offer forgiveness? Why? So 2,000 years later, you and I would know what forgiveness looked like. Listen, if you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, if you're holding resentment in your heart, if you just can't get past someone's offense, you're not hurting them. You're hurting you and those around you. You're hurting you. If you can't forgive, listen, I promise you, regardless of what the offense is, and I know there may be those in this room or watching online who have suffered incredible trauma and incredible hurt and incredible deceit. 
I, I understand that. And I, and I don't want to be insensitive to that because I know that those types of things are, are very real. But I promise you, you've not been betrayed like Christ was betrayed. Who carried the sins of the world and offered forgiveness to all. Don't you think as followers of Jesus, we ought to be able to be people who know how to forgive. Is it easy? Nope. Sometimes forgiveness might be the hardest thing you do. Especially those of you that have suffered real trauma and real hurt. I get it. But it is God's plan for you to forgive. It is God's plan for you to release those hurts and those hang-ups and all of that stuff. It's God's plan for you to walk in freedom and you never will as long as you hold in resentment and unforgiveness in your heart. You will never walk in freedom. You can put on a mask, you can preach the sermon, you can sing the song, you can teach the lesson, but until you let that go, you'll never walk in freedom. Let me tell you where I'm at. I am... You want to figure out, now, now listen, I'm not talking to y'all because y'all are sweet and y'all love people. You want to figure out how mean people can be? Pastor a church. Be, go into the ministry and you'll find out how mean some people can be. And, and I'm going to tell you, there have been times when I've wanted to hang on to that meanness and resentment and, oh, God, get them. Here's, what I'm, here's where I've landed, y'all. I refuse to give somebody that kind of power over my freedom. Not going to happen. Because that's... See, I've, I've been in a place in my life where I harbored resentment and anger. And it, I'm not going to lie to you, it took years for me to let some of that go. It took a long time. And I don't want to see that for you. If you've got that stuff in your heart that you're just not letting go of, learn from my mistake. You've you got to work it out. You've got to let the Holy Spirit release you from hanging on to that stuff that you've been holding on to for a long time. You've got to let Him help you let it go. That's the only way you're going to be able to walk in freedom. Does that make sense, y'all? Here's what you saw in Jesus. Forgiveness is intentional. So he has this last supper. He walks out into the garden. <laughs> Calls some, some of those disciples with him to come and pray. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. 
He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Wouldn't you? If you knew you were hours away from the most gruesome form of capital punishment the world has ever known, would you be sorrowful and troubled? Of course you would. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm, I'm dying here. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, now remember, just a, a couple hours before, he had passed the cup that said, This is my blood. And now he's saying, Father, can this cup, please, if, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Then he said, not as I will, but as you will. So in the garden, Jesus modeled surrender. Surrender. I grew up thinking that that was, that was not a word that men like to use. Surrender meant failure, didn't it? Surrender meant defeat, right? Isn't that what that meant? Surrender meant defeat. And I am convinced that uh, most of us, especially those that, uh, you know, have a little competitive nature, we don't, like to de- we don't like defeat. We don't like to lose. And that's what we think surrender is, is, is defeat and loss. And I'm going to tell you that the, the path to victory goes through the avenue of surrender. So Jesus modeled what it looked like to say, I don't want to do this because he, how I many know he was just as human as he was God? He was 100% human, 100% God. And you, you're like, Dwayne, I can't wrap my head around that. Well, I can't either. But it's just, that's how it was. He was, and his humanity cried out, I don't want to do this. But I'll do what you say. He modeled for his followers surrender and for those of us who struggle with that and i use the word us on purpose for those of us that struggle with that doesn't come easy we like our way and we want to do things our way and and we know best when will we learn the path to victory always passes down the avenue of surrender. God, your way works. Sometimes surrender looks like laying down a part of your life that you, you sh- don't need to carry. Sometimes it looks like laying down an addiction. Sometimes it looks like laying down resentment and unforgiveness. Sometimes it looks like giving up a relationship that's, that's dragging you down. Sometimes it looks like saying yes to God when he's calling you into ministry. Sometimes it, it looks like saying yes to God when he's calling you to give. It's uh, saying yes to God when he's calling you to live your life out loud to a world that's dying. Some, sometimes surrender looks like being kind when you really don't want to. Sometimes surrender looks like uh, uh, wrapping your arms around people and loving people that sometimes are unlovable. Sometimes surrender is uncomfortable and it hurts. I promise you, 
path to victory always travels down the avenue of surrender. You want, you want to live free? You want to live an abundant life? Do it God's way. Say yes to God. I have never one time said yes to God and went, that was an awful idea. I have said no a few times and went on to regret it. So after the garden, Jesus faces between the Jewish leaders and the Roman government six illegal trials that night. Incredible mockery. Undeserved torture. And, and torture that, listen, and I don't, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and, and be graphic but you, you and I have never experienced what he experienced, even, even close. I, I fell over this speaker last Saturday morning, and I have been a crybaby for seven days. You and I have never experienced what he experienced. That led him to a, a crucifixion, and, and, and you guys have probably heard the story or seen the movies of what, what the crucifixion was like, and it, it wasn't a piece of jewelry 2,000 years ago. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a piece of art. It was an electric chair. It was a gas chamber. And Jesus laid his life down. In the, the most unbelievable method possible the most cruel and so after this week of teaching and preaching and leading and modeling now Jesus is hanging on a cross and what's he teaching us there see we can't we can't follow him to the cross thank God we don't have to but what's he modeling for us there? On the cross, Jesus modeled sacrifice and redemption. Because we live in the greatest country and the richest country on the planet and, and are the most wealthy generation that's ever lived, we, we've, the, the idea of sacrifice is foreign to us. You know, sacrifice is not getting the new iPhone the day it comes out. I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but it's not. You know, sacrifice is, you know, doing without our first world creature comforts for a minute. Here's what Jesus said, John chapter 10. No one takes it from me. Talking about his life. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And if you want to see what that looks like, you have to come next week. This command I receive from my Father. I lay it down of my own accord. Sacrifice. It's a foreign thought. It's a foreign ideal to most of us. What, what, what do we sacrifice? I'm going to tell you what God has called us to sacrifice. Everything. 
That's what Jesus modeled for us. What sacrifice looks for is I lay down my life. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. That's what it looks like. Can I be just brutally honest? There's over 2 billion people in the world that call themselves Christians. There's very few that are walking that kind of path. I have laid down my life for the cause of Christ. That is exactly what Christ is calling us to do. Here's your last little fill-in. Our job is to faithfully follow the model. His model of humility, his model of mission, his model of integrity, his model of forgiveness and surrender and sacrifice. next few weeks we're going to look at a book on Wednesday evenings and I hope you come I'm a little nervous about it because it's going to make you uncomfortable it makes me uncomfortable but I'm just going to be listen I'm not an old man but I've, I've been in this thing too long to play games anymore I'm just going to tell you that that this this idea That we can compartmentalize our faith and it just be a Sunday morning thing is not going to work. What Christ is calling you to and me to is a daily surrender, a daily walk where we model what Jesus looked like. And, and I'm going to tell you that there are very few people. There, there are churches in, in our country now with 20,000, 30,000 people. And I'm going to tell you that the way is narrow. And it, it, it pains me to say this. I'm tired. And I don't know how much longer we got in this world. And sometimes I get frustrated because I get up here and I, I have this thing on my heart, this picture of what, and, and it, I have a hard time getting it out of my mouth. I don't have the words. I don't have the eloquence to say how God puts it on my heart. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I, I can, I'm trying to paint a picture here that Christ is calling us out of our apathy and Christ is calling us out of our disinterest. Christ is calling us out of our, uh, uh, our attitude that, I can put Jesus on a shelf and he'll be there when I need him. The truth is he will.
But that's not the walk that He's called us to. He's called us to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. To go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel and make disciples. He, he, see, Jesus had a mission, but you have one. We've, we've built these huge buildings. And, and, and people come and, and they're... I'm on social media just like y'all are, and I, I, I'm seeing this trend, and it's turning my stomach, where it's all about, you know, the hottest worship band, and the smoke, and the lights, and all that stuff, and I love it all, that's all cool and great, yes, but it's, it's become so superficial, the church across North America is just as a thousand miles wide and two inches deep, and it's breaking my heart, and I don't want that for us. And I'm at the point now, I don't care if there's 10,000 of us or 10. Let's lock arms and follow Jesus. Let's lock arms and fulfill the mission that he's put on this planet, put us on this planet for. Let's just model Jesus and his life with ours to the best of our ability. And until then, what else matters? And I, I'd love to be able to stand up here as a, as a perfect man, and that I have, and I don't have it all together. Y'all know if you know me ten minutes, you figured that out. There's got to be, there's got to be a point, y'all. Where, the stuff that doesn't matter doesn't matter. And the stuff that does matter is all that matters. And what matters is the gospel. What matters is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth. And he lived and he bled and he died and he rose again on the third day. We will celebrate that glorious resurrection next Sunday. But that's all that matters. My comfort doesn't matter. My address shouldn't matter. What I drive shouldn't matter. None of that should matter. What matters is there's a world beyond this one, and we are here to prepare us and those around us for that world. That should be our only mission. Here's your text for today, by the way. I didn't read it earlier, but I'm going to read it now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Donna, come on. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. <laughs> God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Let's pray together.
God, you have called us to do good. Even if it means suffering. Because Christ suffered for us. Help us follow your example. Following your steps. Holy Spirit, will you convict our hearts as individuals and as a church? Forgive us of our apathy. Forgive us. Forgive us for not following your steps, for not listening to your word. Forgive us. Forgive us for doing things our own way and not yours. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us for our arrogance and our pride. Make us humble. Forgive us for following our own mission and not yours. Set our hearts on fire with the gospel go into all the world and preach and teach and make disciples. Set our hearts on fire with the mission that you've given us. <laughs> with purpose to live out this life. <laughs> God, we're so tired of church as usual. We're so tired of just of this, of it just being a Sunday morning experience. We're so tired of that. Help us live our lives in full pursuit of you and the mission that you've given us. God, forgive us for not walking in integrity, for not being who we say we are. Forgive us for putting on a mask on Sunday morning. Forgive us. Help us to walk with integrity. Help us to be who we say we are. Help us to square our shoulders and stand for truth. In a world where truth is compromised. God, forgive us for our, for our unforgiveness. How dare we hold resentment in our hearts for others when you have so freely forgiven us? How dare we? Forgive us for our unforgiveness. Forgive us for holding on to our way when you're calling us to surrender to yours. Teach us that your way is the right way. Forgive us for pursuing our own path instead of pursuing yours. Forgive us. Forgive us. And forgive us 
Forgive us for our desire to be served instead of doing what you called us to do and serve. Forgive us. Forgive us. Help us model. Help us live after your model. You told us that you came to serve and not to be served, and so God, help us to sacrifice our own way and our own comforts to serve you. Forgive us. Forgive me. You are our model, and we will follow you. And on those occasions when we take a step off of the path that you've chosen for us, God, would you, by the sweet power of your Holy Spirit, draw us. God, I sense your presence here. In Jesus' name. God, this week, I pray that you would remind us as we celebrate Holy Week leading up to Easter Sunday morning, that you would burden each of us to follow you and your model for all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Have an awesome afternoon. Happy Palm Sunday.